who have gathered here this morning, I trust with a singular passion, and that is to worship our great God and Savior. This is the Lord's day, and he has made this day for his church to gather, to gather not just to socialize and fellowship, though we will enjoy that today. We gather primarily to lift our voices up together to acknowledge our God, to worship him and to bring him proper praise. I trust that is your heart this morning and that you have prepared yourselves to that end. Amen? All right, a number of announcements. Grab your bulletin, if you could, just very quickly with me. A few things to walk through, more than just a few things. Uh, some in the bulletin, some not in the bulletin. Number one, the top announcement on the mask mandate expired after we printed these bulletins. Hopefully you received our email and how we are moving forward in regard to the CDC announcement and the governor's announcement on Friday. Uh, if not, you can see us afterwards and we will maybe explain that to you. If you're not on our email list, uh, please do so. You can do that by emailing Lee Stone Street, Lee at RandolphStreet.org, and we can get you on that email list soon. A uh, few, few in your bulletin announcements. After our gathering today, we're doing some kind of informal church picnics uh, over the next month or two, three months, uh, located up at Coonskin Park, shelter number 18. Uh, if you haven't planned for it, no big deal, because there's nothing to really plan for, right? Leave after church, grab some food at a drive-thru, uh, go to shelter 18 at Coonskin Park, and just hang out with your church family for an hour, 30 minutes, two hours, whatever you prefer. Uh, we've got a few of these planned. Uh, the first one is today, right after our gathering. If you are there, Care Group 2, uh, you're going to have just a quick meeting uh, with your elders and deacons, is my understanding. That'll take place at some point during that, just very short, get to know you, uh, and uh, maybe for the first time see each other's faces, right? Uh, so during the picnic care group too. Two seminars coming up. One's a book discussion. Our ladies will be gathering on May the 20th. That's a Thursday evening to discuss just a phenomenal book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Uh, would really encourage you to be a part of that, ladies. Uh, it's not too late, probably not too late. Uh, grab that book. I saw at least one or two out in the bookstore. Uh, read through it prior to that evening. Uh, that, that is just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And uh, I'm going to reference it actually in next week's sermon. So May the 20th and then May the 23rd on Sunday evening, uh, Pastor Tim will be le leading a seminar here on resolving conflict. So just thinking through from a biblical perspective how we address conflict and seek to resolve that conflict in a manner that honors Christ. Uh, that'll be May the 23rd, Sunday evening. That begins at 6 p.m. Okay, a couple of announcements not in your bulletin. Um, Carlotta's grandson, thank you so much for praying for him these past, uh, well, Pastor Tim announced it here last Sunday morning. Our understanding, and you can correct this with uh, the conversation with, uh, with some of our elders or deacons afterwards if you would like, but uh, that her grandson is on a good trajectory right now, still a lot of unknowns and concerns, but please continue to pray. Um, good is relative, I think, at this point, just walking through things, but uh, they would deeply appreciate you to continue to pray for him. Debbie Hodge is here. Oh, she 
she's going to kill me now for making her spotlight of all this. Debbie's here. Debbie, we, we have been praying for you. We are so thankful you are here. She's probably going to go a little charismatic on us here in a little while during the service. Uh, Joyce Ashworth is here this morning. Sorry, Joyce. Man, it is so good to see these folks. We have prayed for so many and others, I'm sure, here. Um, one more, two more. Second London reading is happening this Wednesday evening. It's not in your bulletin. Uh, starting at 6 p.m., we're finishing out the last section of the Second London Confession. If you haven't been a part of that, just come. Our elders and deacons will be here. We're just reading it out loud and having some uh, discussion around it as we're moving toward adopting this as our elders' statement of faith, elders and deacons' statement of faith. So that's happening this Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. And then one last note, the McFarlands are here. I don't know where, though. Where are you? There you are. Oh, you're under the, the, the light. All right, there's two lights in this auditorium that work. You're under one of them. Uh, so it's good to see you guys. Hopefully you got your prayer God uh, from last week, if I'm thinking right on that. Updated you in regard to Keith and Laura Beth and just uh, some, some transitions that they're walking through. They're headed back to Uganda in a couple of weeks. Uh, but grab that prayer update. If you did not, you, you would have gotten it via email. Uh, but they, they, uh, it would help you pray for them as they walk through these days. When they get back from Uganda, Keith's going to come and preach here. We haven't set a date or talked about it much, but, uh, and he'll give us a full update when that time comes. But they would deeply appreciate you to pray for them. Okay, that was a lot. Uh, let's move past all of that now. And let's take a moment, quiet our hearts before the Lord, uh, quietly praying, confessing our sins, seeking God's mercy, preparing our hearts for the worship of our great God this morning. me, if you would, and let us on this Lord's day hear the word of God, and may it call us as God's people to worship this morning. Psalm chapter 40, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David records these words for us. I've waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my prayer. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet up on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after Allah. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more that can be told. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God.
certainly a great song as a follow-up to the sermons the last couple of weeks as we finished up the book of Philippians. It is extremely important that as followers of Christ, as Christians, that we understand what we believe. One of the great values of the catechisms is that it clearly defines the things that we believe, that we embrace. We've been talking about how does a man come to Christ? How is a person saved? It's talked about only through Christ and the things that faith in Christ, but what is it about Christ that we have faith in, about God? We talked about last week, what is it we believe? We believe the articles, and then it goes into the Apostles' Creed. Today, we discuss what it means, the very first point of the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds
Gospel of John. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For, for whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, and that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. <clears throat> Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good in the resurrection of life and those who have done evil in the resurrection of judgment. A reading from the letter of the churches in Galatia. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Please stand.
Well, if you would take your copy of God's holy word this morning, in light of that last verse, open with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, today we begin a two-week series on the ascension of Christ, and we will do so by looking at Luke and his recording found in chapter 24, four short verses that we are going to expand and move into other portions of the New Testament, asking the Lord to build his church, to strengthen his people with this truth. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse Number 50, the last four verses of Luke's gospel. Let us now hear together the word of God. Then he, Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. May he bless now his word for his people this morning. Let us pray together. Well, Father, what glorious truths we have been rehearsing this morning in song. Even that last little phrase, setting our hearts, our affections upon Christ, the risen, exalted Christ and Lord over all things. Father, I would pray that this passage of Scripture, this truth that we celebrate on this day, Ascension Sunday, would take hold of our hearts. Let's see the the fullness of this truth over these next couple of weeks. And Father, may you use this to preserve, to build, to strengthen to encourage your people here at Randolph Street. Oh God, I pray that would be the end of this preaching event here this morning. For your glory, Lord, strengthen your church here at Randolph Street. Father, I would pray that if there are any joining us here in this room online that do not know Christ, that we together with them would watch you bring forth that miraculous new birth in their lives, opening their eyes to see the glory of Christ, that they might respond today in repentance and faith to you, our God. Lord, grant that, we pray. Help us now, as we study your word, plant this truth deeply into our hearts for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Kathy, for ministering to us this morning. Well, with your Bibles open, notepads, pen, paper, however you best interact with God's Word, as we step into this short two-week series, I'm very grateful to Pastor Tim for preaching these last two Sundays and walking us through chapter 4 of Philippians and walking us out of that book. I trust that that particular study has been helpful and encouraging to you these past number of months. Uh, we've got some other things planned through the summer. I'll speak of that next Sunday. And then in the fall, we start into the book of Acts with Revelation to follow. And we are looking forward to just all the things that God has for us together in these next number of years together during our gathering. Well, this past Thursday marked what is historically known as Ascension Thursday. Uh, churches have marked that particular day to speak of this truth that we just read in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. Today, following Ascension Thursday, is what churches through the centuries have acknowledged as Ascension Sunday and creative, right? But just marking out for us a Tom for God's people to gather and to remember what is a significant event in redemptive history, namely the, the ascension of Christ, that moment that Paul will speak of as when he was taken up into glory. From the earliest days of the church, the church confessed this truth as being central. The Apostles' Creed, in his statement about Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Very much the text that Ashley read for us this morning. It may surprise some of you how often that the ascension, or at least themes of the ascension, are found in the New Testament. Just as a moment of confession, it surprised me this week. How often this idea of Christ being taken into glory, seated at the right hand of the Father, and all the themes that flow out of this idea are found littered through the New Testament. For example, just to give you one, Colossians chapter 3. Listen to what Paul says. This is directly tied to this moment in Luke 24. If you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And in light of that truth, the ascension truth, Paul says, set your minds on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Why? Now listen to what he says here. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, he writes, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. But did you hear the ascension, this doctrine, this truth, that the church so deeply 
embraced and loved in this very practical text. Paul says, hey, you set your minds there. Why? Because that's where Christ is. He is there and he is seated at the right hand of God. And you, because you are in Christ, you are there with him. What, what, a, what an amazing truth. But all of that is grounded in the ascension of Christ. Sadly, in the Protestant church, and in my own preaching, we have not given it, maybe this truth, a proper place and the direct emphasis that it calls for. So this is a little self-correcting for me today as we think about this truth. Every major writer of the New Testament is going to speak of the ascension. I mean, you, you, you can't miss it. This crucial truth of the ascension of Jesus is going to filter through every major writer of the New Testament. John, if you read the Gospel of John, you find it everywhere. All right? Let's take time and maybe rehearse some of John. You're going to find this idea of Jesus departing and going back to the Father littered everywhere throughout the Gospel of John. Peter, you're going to see this amazing statement. I'm going to come to it in a little while. This amazing statement of Peter in regard to the ascension. Paul, the ascension, he refers to it on multiple occasions. As a matter of fact, Paul sees the ascension as central in the building of the church. We're going to refer to that text in just a moment in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's going to bring the ascension to bear in that hymn-like confession of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Listen. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he's going to capture all of it together. Here it is. He was manifested, speaking of Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and here it is, taken up into glory. So in Paul's theology, this ascension of Jesus is central. And then there's Hebrews. You remember how often the writer of Hebrews will speak uh, of Jesus being at the right hand of God, seated at the right hand of majesty, or in Hebrews chapter 4, he passed through the heavens. Remember that little phrase there? And Hebrews chapter, Hebrews is going to pick up on this current, present-day, priestly ministry of Jesus as a result of the ascension. We're going to, that's going to be the whole sermon next week. So I'm going to try to stay away from that. The present Right now, while you are in this seat, ministry of Jesus, which is an astounding thought. Here's your outline for this morning, just quickly, before we come to the table. We're going to pick up on my Holy Week series a little bit. Okay, so we did a lot of chronology for that Holy Week series. We covered the whole week. We covered... Uh, Palm Sunday, we covered Good Friday, we covered Easter morning. We, we spent a lot of time just going through the chronological details. You were so kind to listen to those sermons because that was a lot of detail and work. But we're going to take a moment at the beginning of this and talk about 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. Acts, the, the, Luke, the author of Acts, is going to be the writer who's going to tell us that it's 40 days 
from, from the day that Jesus rose from the dead to the day that he ascends to the Father, Luke is going to record 40 days. So we're going to do a, just a quick, brief look at what happened in those 40 days. Second, we're going to look at Luke's account that I just read to you. And we're going to see really three things in this account. I want to see the benediction or the blessing that Christ places up on his disciples. We're going to see the ascension, that moment when Jesus is carried into the presence of the Father. And we're going to see the disciples' response. And when we see the disciples' response, I'm going to come out of that and ask this question, why are they so happy? That's the question I want to ask. I think there's an answer to that. There's a, there's a lot of answers to that. I'm going to hone in on one primary answer. And then to conclude the morning, we're going to talk about the ascension in the Lord's table. All right. So let's kind of dig in here a little bit. I would encourage you to just preface this. Have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 24, Acts chapter 2. That would be helpful. Maybe just get ready. I don't have any slides this morning. So on Easter Sunday, I will not go back and rehash everything that we worked through that particular day in regard to Jesus and his appearances to the disciples, starting with with Mary and, and, and how all that transpired, trying to bring John and the Synoptic Gospels together to understand how all those events took place. Later that day, we read this at our sunrise gathering, later that day, Jesus would appear to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. You are familiar with that story. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 30. It seems that later that day, he likewise would appear to Peter and then to a group of disciples with Thomas being absent. So there's a lot going on on that Easter Sunday, following up all of the appearances or moments that he had with the ladies and his disciples that morning. The scriptures don't speak much of what happens between Easter Sunday and the following Sunday, but you know what happens the following Sunday. That's Thomas's moment recorded for us in John chapter 20. That's the moment when Jesus is going to appear, and we're going to hear that clear affirmation of Thomas to whom Jesus is, namely, my Lord and my God. One of the clearest affirmations in all of Scripture about the person and nature of Jesus. This is my Lord and my God, says Thomas. That's the following Sunday. Over these next number of weeks, Jesus is going to appear to his disciples and to groups in a variety of settings. John chapter 21, that unique epilogue, if you will, to the Gospel of John, where he records Jesus showing up and the disciples, they're fishing. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's going to tell us that Jesus appeared to 500 believers at one time. As a matter of fact, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he would tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 that many of them that Jesus appeared to in this 40-day window, many of them were still alive. Paul's going to tell us likewise that he appeared to James, his half-brother, a significant leader in the early church at Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, Luke indicates to us that during this 40 days, Jesus is going to step in and appear to his disciples on multiple occasions, some of those to deliver teachings and discipling and mentoring these men as he sets them out on this ministry. During these 40 days, the disciples are going to move up into Galilee, out of Jerusalem. 
It is there that Jesus will appear to them. And at some point nearing the end of these 40 days, the disciples will return back to Jerusalem. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24. We find ourselves near Jerusalem in that city called Bethany. 40 days, Jesus appearing to his disciples, various moments, various crowds, various types of teachings and, 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 and moments to influence and mentor his disciples. 40 days. Some scholars will point out this mimics or follows Jesus' 40 days prior to his public ministry when he was tested and tempted in the wilderness. And now Jesus for 40 days pulls his disciples aside and he disciples and teaches them prior to their launch into public ministry. There are two main passages that deal with the ascension. Luke chapter 24 that we just read, and the other is Acts chapter 1, which we will be in in just a couple of months. Luke chapter 24 is the gospel account that gives to us this detail of Jesus parting and being carried into the presence of the Father. If you look down at your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, we find Jesus and his disciples in verse number 50 near Bethany. Once again, we covered this extensively during the Holy Week sermon series. These eastern and western slopes of the Mount of Olives had been a busy, busy place for a few months. And this is the location that Jesus is going to choose now to take his disciples to before he ascends to the Father. Jesus had warned his disciples many times over that eventually he would depart from them. If you remember in our studies of the Holy Week on that last night, the night of his betrayal, Jesus would speak directly to his disciples about this moment. John chapter 16, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask where are you going, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. A little while, Jesus would say, on that night, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I am going to the Father. Jesus had prepared his disciples. He had set this in their mind that soon he would be departing from their presence. And as he notes for us in John chapter 16, this teaching brought deep sorrow to their hearts. Now, note the contrast to what's happening in Luke 24. When Jesus is taken into the presence of the Father, the, the disciples, they're going to have deep joy. But just a few weeks before, as Jesus shared this teaching with his disciples, they would grieve and sorrow over this idea that Jesus would now be absent from them. Look down at Luke 24, verse 50. This is a grand moment. He leads them out as far as Bethany. This would be on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. This is the last moment of Jesus with his disciples. And in this moment, he's going to lift up a word of benediction or blessing upon them, marking really the significance of this moment. But even more so, I think this marks Jesus' love for his disciples, for these men. We know their trajectory because we have the Bibles, right? We have the scriptures. We know their trajectory. 
Soon after this, the disciples are going to be launched into persecution and suffering. But before they are launched into that, Jesus is going to speak blessing and peace upon these men. Again, what a moment. We don't have the exact words of Jesus that he speaks for us, for his disciples in verse number 50. But surely in this moment, whatever those words may have been, Jesus will remind his disciples of the Father's care, the Father's love. He would remind his disciples that the mercy of God will follow them no matter where their path might lead. Maybe Jesus spoke something like Numbers 6 or Psalm 121. Can you imagine Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine up on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance up on you and give you peace. Can you imagine that? Or maybe it did sound like Psalm 121, Jesus to his disciples, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming, time, coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Luke chapter 24 records for us this moment when Jesus is going to stand with his disciples and he's going to lift his hands and speak blessing and peace upon their lives. One commentator notes, this is not only a priestly act of Jesus with his disciples, but it really defines his ongoing ministry that he will have to his disciples after he ascends. I mean, what a moment for us. We're going to spend all the next week talking about the other side of this. Jesus at the right hand of the Father and that priestly ministry that he carries out toward the church and toward you even now in our lives. But in this moment, it's him, it's his disciples, it's his men, it's this mission that is set before them. And he captures this moment and he speaks blessing over their lives. The Lord keep you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them. He was carried up into heaven. You know, when you study the Gospels, we've, we've talked about this a number of times, especially John in relationship to the synoptic Gospels. When you study the Gospels, you, you have questions, right, that run through your mind. Why did they record this, and why did they leave this out? But it's really interesting that Luke is the writer, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but in Acts chapter 1, Luke is the writer who, who's going to narrate this for us. He's, he's going to capture these events and detail them for us. Again, Acts chapter 1, I'll refer to that in just a moment, but it's going to pick up even more detail for us. But it's here, after Jesus blesses his disciples, as Luke says, he parts and he's carried up into heaven. Daryl Bach in his commentary will note, the ascension is not just a departure, it is an arrival. So in the ascension, 
what we find here is Jesus is physically removed from his disciples, but he is brought to his father. So it's the ascension is a departure, but even more so, it is an arrival, and it's, it is an arrival unlike any arrival in the history of the world. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. And now in bodily form, what we find here in Luke chapter 24, he ascends into the presence of the Father. He returns to the Father. He would speak of this on multiple occasions in the Gospel of John. He would, he would say in John 16, I came from the Father, and I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going back to the Father. Or John chapter 20, you remember that moment with Mary. He says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And just to pick up on that idea that the commentator expressed here, that the ascension is not simply a departure. That's, that's how we think about it. The significance of the ascension is not found in the departure. It's found in the arrival. This is the Son of God. This faithful, obedient, covenant-keeping Son of God. And now he will return into the presence of the Father. That's what the ascension marks. And this is what Jesus had longed for. You remember the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17. Father, this is the moment, right? Jesus knew the hour had come. The cross was before him. But this is how Jesus saw the cross. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the moment that prayer is now fulfilled. Jesus will enter back into the presence of the Father and he will, as he prays in John chapter 17, he will share this glory that he shared with the Father before the world was ever created. Jesus now in the ascension enters into the presence, the glorious presence as the God-man, human form. He enters into the presence of the Father. Now, just a side gospel note on this. Jesus and his entrance and acceptance into the presence of the Father ensures your entrance and acceptance before the Father likewise. This is where the ascension really takes root in our theology. I mean, it is Jesus who said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He goes to prepare through the ascension. And then he says, I will come again. I will take you to myself that you may be where I am also. The ascension of Jesus into the presence of the Father, the acceptance of Jesus into the presence of the Father ensures you and I who are in Christ likewise that acceptance before the Father. That's right. Luke expands on this slightly. He says in Luke, or excuse me, Acts chapter 1 verse 9, when he had said these things, Jesus speaking to his disciples, they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took them out of their sight. We don't get a lot of detail here, do we? I mean, this is like, boom, it's over. I mean, this is a moment where Luke the investigator, I wish he would have, but he didn't by the guidance of the Spirit. I wish he would have maybe stepped in and asked a few more questions. 
Like, what did this look like? What, how did this play out? But all we have is, is he's there, and then he's taken into the presence of the Father. I do want to note this, though. In both texts, Jesus is passive. Just like his incarnation, so it is in his ascension. The Father, through the Spirit, does the work. The Son had accomplished his work assigned to him. He had been faithful. And now the Father, in this glorious moment, receives the Son unto himself. What a moment for Jesus. Such a contrast, the backdrop of the Scriptures here. Adam in the garden. The Son of God. Tested disobedient and in shame and guilt and condemnation he drops his head as he walks out of the garden in the presence of God that's Adam but thanks be to God there is a second Adam who stepped into the test and into the challenge and into the temptation. And he honored his father. He obeyed the Lord in every possible way. He did always what is pleasing to the father. And that son was honored by the father. And he's received into the presence of the father. And because he's received into the presence of the father, so will you, sinner who is in Christ. That's the glory of the ascension for us today. This moment, he's, he's brought by the Father into his presence. This is the glorious creator of all things. And now the obedient son is taken into his presence. What a, I don't get all this. Trinitarian theology, I, I can wrestle and it just, I'm always on the edge of heresy. You all are, we all are. But in that moment, when the son finally entered into the presence of his father what joy I don't understand but what joy this faithful covenant keeping son now before the father look at the disciples verse 52 what a change from John 16 they worshiped him. He's taken into heaven. They worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They go into the temple, blessing God. I mean, just a few short weeks ago, Jesus sat on the Passover night in the upper room, said to his disciples, I'm leaving, and he said, your hearts are filled with sorrow. Now here he leaves, and all of a sudden, they're filled not with sorrow, but with joy. I mean, you've said goodbye to loved ones, right? Whether it's a geographical move or them passing into glory. And it's it, different degrees, but gut-wrenching. This is a man that they loved. This is a man who died for them. They knew that. He had suffered for their sins, and now he is gone. Their response? Joy. Why? That's the question. Why are they so happy? Well, I think if you let your eyes linger back in, verse, in chapter 24, 
You're going to see beginning at verse number 44. And chronologically, it's hard to place this necessarily, but you're going to see in verse number 24 and following that he taught them the scriptures and how the scriptures pointed to him, fulfilled in him. And then look at verse number 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in, the name, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. Luke's going to pick up that same narrative in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2. He's going to pick up that same thought and he's going to work that out for us and what actually happens. But what we see here in Luke 24 is at some point in those 40 days, Jesus stepped into the lives of his disciples and he opened their minds to understand exactly how he has fulfilled the scriptures. The disciples we find here at the Ascension are very different than the men we see cowering in the upper room and during the trials. These men and their minds, they have been opened to see all that God has done in Christ. Here's my answer to why they're so happy. I think these men, when they saw Jesus ascend, they were convinced that this ascension of Jesus led to his enthronement as king. They knew that Jesus now was entering into the presence of the Father and that he would be seated at the right hand of God. I think that's the answer. If you have your Bibles, flip over to Acts 2. This is why I'm saying I think this is the answer. Soon after the ascension, Jesus is going to stand before the gathered crowds in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Next Sunday, by the way, is Pentecost Sunday. Peter will stand before these crowds. We're about 50 days out now from the Passover, the night in which Jesus was betrayed and ultimately crucified. We're, we're 50 days out from that. And listen to what Peter says, beginning at verse number 29 and following. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. His body's still there. Being therefore a prophet, David, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on a throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he would not be abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore, here it is. So we often hate cross and resurrection. And then we stop. I, that, I'm not saying that about you. I'm saying about me. It's so easy, just cross and resurrection. And then we stop. But it's, what the, it's what the resurrection leads to, right? This is why when we sing songs about the resurrection and Christ and glory, you guys, you can't contain yourselves. And you shouldn't be able to. But listen to what he says here. This Jesus God raised up, we are all witnesses, verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, the ascension, 
Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens. Just to be clear, David didn't fulfill these scriptures. But he himself says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So here it is. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. See, these disciples, they understood. The ascension of Christ meant that now he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he reigns and rules over all things. Listen to how Peter captures the ascension. 1 Peter 3, verse 22. Speaking about Jesus, he has gone into heaven, he's at the right hand of God, and here it is, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. That's the package. That's how they viewed this. When Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he is enthroned. This is the king of all things. He is Lord and Christ, and everything is being subjected to him. He's been given a name that is above all names, and he reigns over all things. And in due time, that reign will be earthly, and it will be visible. They knew all of that. I think they knew all of that. That's why Peter can stand up on that Pentecost Sunday and look the masses in the eyes and say, you crucified him. But my father, he has made him both Lord and Christ. Right now, he's not here. Why? Because he's seated at the right hand of the father and that enthronement speaks to us as his followers, as his followers, as one of power and authority and supremacy over all things. That's why the disciples walked away from the ascension thrilled out of their minds. Jesus is now in glory and exalted at the right hand of the Father. Can I ask you to turn to one more passage? Ephesians 4. This is the last one, and then we're coming to the table. Just one little verse in Ephesians 4. This whole section would be helpful to unpack about the ascension, but just one little verse and how Paul sees the ascension and that connection that Paul has to this enthronement, authority, everything being subjected to Jesus type language. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 10. He says, he who descended... He's capturing the incarnation here. So when we talk about the incarnation, we talk about humiliation, right? And he he does that with this language of descent, right? He he shared the the Father, the glory with the Father from all all eternity, and now he descends. He said he is the one who also ascended. This is our ascension, that truth, far above all the heavens. I love that language. Right? He's just helping you, the reader, say and affirm in your heart, his ascension is higher than anything you could ever imagine. He's ascended far above all the heavens. He is above all things. That's how they viewed the ascension. And then this little phrase, that he might fill all things. What's that mean? Well, I think what he's saying here is that because of this ascension, 
He's ascended far above all the heavens. And this enthronement now, Jesus is filling the universe with his rule and authority and supremacy and glory. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is, has ascended at the right hand of the Father, and now he is in the moment, he's in the act of subduing all things to himself and filling the universe with his authority and supremacy and glory. Right now. So Christian, when you look at this world and it's upside down and it's crazy, don't go to CNN or Fox News for your consolation. Go to the ascension. And set your eyes there. This is what Christ now is engaged in. He's filling the earth through the Spirit, Jesus is building his kingdom. He's building his church. He's sustaining his church. He's strengthening his church. And he's filling the earth with his glory. That's why in that moment, Jesus disappears. And the disciples, instead of dropping on their knees in sorrow and grief, what fills their hearts? Hope and joy and worship why Jesus has been enthroned. Don't lose sight of this. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Let me just briefly talk about the ascension in the Lord's table. It's interesting, the Lord has given us two what we call sacraments or ordinances. And these are visible things, right? In this particular sacrament, we have, we have what the scriptures call the cup and the bread. These are tangible, physical elements, right? And, and, and they're, they're designed, the Lord gave this to us for a reason. At times, it's easy for us to get fixated on the elements, and miss the great truths that these elements are designed to point us to. Throughout the history of the church, there have been battles fought over how we view these elements. These, this cup and this bread is designed for you, church, this morning. Here's what I want, here's what I want to focus us for a moment to call your hearts, not here, but upward to the right hand of God and to set your faith and your eyes upon Christ. Don't miss that. To come to these tables this morning and let these instruments be used for the right purpose today, to call our hearts upward to commune with Christ who died for us, who rose for us, and who has ascended for us. Let these elements do their work in us by the, by the power of the Spirit in calling us upward to commune with Christ and to feed upon him this morning. It was Calvin who said, and I'm going to read this again in a couple of weeks because I'm going to preach a series through the sacraments. It was Calvin who said, Our minds must not be fixed on earth, 
but must ascend upwards to the heavenly glory in which Christ dwells. But he has now ascended above the heavens, that no gross imaginations may keep us occupied with earthly things. And certainly, if this mystery is heavenly, nothing could be more unreasonable than to draw Christ down to earth when, on the contrary, through these elements, he calls us upward to himself. So here we are, Ascension Sunday. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss you to walk to these tables. We have four tables, four sections, if you haven't noticed yet. And you're going to walk to these tables, and our elders, they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, this is his body, and this is his blood. And I hope all of them, elders, I'm putting the pressure on you now. I hope they include on that for you. For you. And let that draw you in today. As you pick up this cup and this bread, in a moment when we partake together, Pastor Tim will lead us in that. Oh, let your hearts be called upward this morning. You, you want to talk about a solution to all the ills of your heart this morning? Here it is. Let your heart be called upward and set your eyes up on Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and reigns and rules over everything. Let your sorrows be swallowed up in that glory today. Amen? I'm going to ask our elders and deacons to come prepare our tables for us. If you are a believer in Christ, you love God, you love your neighbor, we invite you to come partake of these elements this morning. Come freely. Commune with your Savior. If you're not a believer in Christ, this is not a time for you, but we don't want you to feel awkward about that. We want you to sit and listen, watch, observe. Christ has ordained this for his church, for us to come and remember, commune with him. Let's take a moment and quiet our hearts. This is a great time for the church to not only come face to face with our Savior, but to confess our sins, to embrace the gospel fully and the hope that we have in Christ. Just quiet your hearts where you are. I'll lead us in prayer in just a moment. Father, this is a good and holy moment that you have called us to. It is good because I'm reminded I'm a sinner. But I've got an amazing Savior. For your people here at Randolph Street this morning, let the hope that we have in Christ wash over their souls this morning. Lord Jesus, you lived and died. You rose and you ascended 
And here we are, your church, whom you have purchased with your own blood. Father, glorify your Son as we walk to these tables this morning, reminding ourselves that he has given his body and his blood for us. Father, glorify your Son in our hearts. Oh, that every person who partakes this morning would glory in Christ. Do a significant work of grace in us by your Spirit here this morning as we commune with you, our God, in your glorious gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless your people now, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Deacons, you can begin dismissing.
tremendous joy to my own hearts to be able to lead us in the table today. How the scriptures, the message today, the truth, the ascension of Christ, his being today in the presence of the Father, ruling and reigning, and his dominion over us, how that elevates the table, how it makes it so much more personal to know that he has given this to us in that way. And so I trust that you will receive it as a blessing to your soul. Paul would say, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Jason mentioned how the ascension is seen in so many elements of the New Testament truth and scriptures. This is another instance where it speaks about Christ coming back. We are to rejoice and to proclaim this truth. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Our Father, our hearts are deeply, deeply moved by the truth that we have heard this morning, by the reality of Christ's ascension, the reality that he at this very moment is at the right hand of the Father. Father, we look forward to understanding more deeply and more fully the ministry that he has on our behalf even now. Father, to know that he is preparing a place, to know that he's at the right hand of the Father, that he has been enthroned, Oh God, might that give us great peace, might that give us great joy, might that give us great hope. Father, might that be that place that our eyes go to continually to find the strength of soul, the purpose of life that we need. In Christ's name, amen. You stand. Oh, 
street i trust that when you gather here on the lord's day and we walk through all that we do here during our gathering that that truth trumps all other thoughts in your soul it is by grace you have been redeemed sinner you stand right before god today only by grace for our benediction this morning, proper Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Before we go to the picnic, let us hear once again the words of our Lord. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things in Christ have passed away, and the people of God reply, Amen.